readers, and welcome to episode 7 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we have a special guest who will be talking to us about the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair. But first, books for the world. The 7th of September was Indigenous Literacy Day, and I managed to rope in my newest book club to take part in the Great Book Swap. We all brought books that we didn't need anymore to the swap, which unfortunately could not include the book we were actually going to be discussing, and more on that later. And for each book we took, we donated a gold coin. We managed to raise about $20, which, although is not that much, everybody enjoyed it so much we're going to make a regular thing. You can find out more about the Indigenous Literacy Foundation in the show notes. I also took part in the Sydney Story Factory's Pen to Paper Challenge, which was running throughout September, and I set myself the task of writing some zines. I managed to raise about $100, but the Sydney Story Factory raised over $37,000, which is enough for at least 748 places for disadvantaged kids in their writing workshops. I also managed to plan out four separate zines and completely finish one, so if I get around to printing them, I'll make sure I put up the info on the Tinted Edges Facebook page. In book updates, following on from the feature story in episode one of Lost the Plot about banned books, starting from the 25th of September was Banned Books Week. All around the world, there was some pretty cool stuff on, including a special banned book scavenger hunt organized by the Washington, D.C. Public Library in the USA. There's also a really cool Forbidden Books Humble Bundle, where you pay what you want for a base set of ebooks, and paying over certain thresholds unlocks more books. And that's open for just one more day. Celebrating diversity and promoting education and open-mindedness, you can find out more about Banned Books Week, as well as my take on banned books in the Lost the Plot's very first episode in the show notes. Right up the top in book news was the 100th anniversary of Roald Dahl's birth on the 13th of September. Penguin had all sorts of stuff going on to celebrate the beloved author and I partook in a Roald Dahl readathon and read and reviewed seven of his children's books. However, the most incredible celebration was that the Oxford University Press has released the splendiferous Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary, which explains the meaning of about 8,000 words, many of them invented by Dahl himself. You can read more about the Roald Dahl Day, uh, the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary, and check out my reviews of all its books in the show notes. Speaking of gobbledygook, for the first time since it was written in about the 1400s, the world's most mysterious book, the Voynich Manuscript, is going to be replicated in the hopes that someone will finally be able to crack the mysterious code it's written in. Decorated with what looks like alien plants and creepy human figures, there is a lot of debate about what the book might be about and whether it's all just one of the world's most elaborate and long-standing hoaxes. You can read more about this mysterious story in the show notes. Now, unless you live under a rock with no Wi-Fi, then you'll probably have heard of Pokemon Go, the mobile phone app sweeping the world amongst bright-eyed kids and reminiscing adults alike. Well, Belgian book lovers inspired by hunting Pokemon have taken to social media to start their own game, Chasseurs de Livre, or Book Hunters. People hide books around their city, post up instructions or clues online, and then the finders share their found treasures with other people in the group. Once read, you abandon the book somewhere else for somebody else to find. 
You can check out the news story in the Facebook page, which has nearly 80,000 members now, below. And seeing as it's been a little while since I've had a book experiment fail spectacularly myself, I might even see if I can get a book hunter group started in Canberra. The Man Booker Prize shortlist was announced, and six books are in the running for one of the most prestigious literary awards in the world, for the best book written in English and published in the UK. The winner will be announced in October, and the final nominees are The Sellout by Paul Beatty, Hot Milk by Deborah Levy, His Bloody Project by Graham McRae Burnett, Eileen by Otessa Moshveg, All That Man Is by David Zale, and Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeline Thien. Back to Canberra, the ACT Book of the Year shortlist has been announced as well, and the choices are The Anchoress by Robin Cadwallader, The 80s by Frank Bongiorno, Illicit Love by Anne McGrath, Local, uh, sorry, Locust Girl by Melinda Bobas, and Moments by Subhash Jairath. Voting is still open, and the winners will be announced in uh, December. So to cast your vote for the ACT Book of the Year, check out the survey link in the show notes. Continuing on the theme of local Canberra authors, I got to go along to a book signing by Canberra writer Rachel Stevens. She spoke at Muse Bookshop and kindly stayed back to sign copies of her book, The Skeleton Diaries, which is a memoir about overcoming anorexia. She was a great speaker, and you can check out her Facebook page in the show notes. A library in Alabama, USA, is currently trying to recover over $200,000 in unpaid fines. Relying on local ordinances, the Athens Limestone Public Library is going through the process of issuing reminders, sending out official letters, and, if they aren't acted upon, seeking a court summons. If the court summons is ignored, people with outstanding fines could actually risk further fines and even jail time. You can read more about this story in the show notes. However, unpaid book fines pale in comparison to this book crime story. In the most secure prison in the state of New South Wales, Australia, a miniature mobile phone has been found hidden in the spine of a book in the prison's library. Now, if that doesn't sound like something out of Orange is the New Black, I don't know what does. The phone was discovered by a sniffer dog called Ivy, and it's thought to belong to the notorious founder of the Brothers for Life gang, Bassam Hamzi. Now, you can read the story in full below. Still on the topic of books in prisons, and very much in, themed with ban- in theme with banned books week, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice in the USA has banned 15,000 books from its correctional facilities. However, one particular book notably did not make the prohibition list, and that was Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. And you could read more about this story in the show notes. There have been quite a few stories about upcoming book releases and book adaptations. Neil Gaiman has shared a very dynamic version of the cover of his upcoming book, Norse, North, oh, sorry, Norse Mythology, which you can look at yourself um, by clicking the link below. It even spins. In other exciting news, uh, stills from the upcoming The Dark Tower film, based on Stephen King's book of the same name, have been released. Juliette Marillio, one of my favourite authors, has released the final book in her Blackthorn and Grimm series, which I just absolutely adore, and then the incredible Atlas Obscura website has uh, just released their book of the same name, and I cannot wait to get my hands on it. Now, it would not be the book news section of Lost the Plot podcast without at least one Harry Potter update, and look, this one was pretty exciting. 
After years of anticipation, the Harry Potter website Pottermore has finally released their Patronus quiz, where you answer questions to find out what animal your Patronus, which is a special spell to ward off dark creatures like Dementors, actually is. The quiz itself is animated and it has an audio track and it really, it feels like you're wandering through the forbidden forest in the middle of winter, taking sudden twists and turns between leafless trees. Then after answering all of your questions, you find yourself standing next to a pool where you can summon your Patronus to find out its true form, which for me was a Manx cat, which is a species of domesticated cat from the Isle of Man in the British Isles. I was actually pretty happy with this result. Apparently the Manx cat is considered to be the source of stories about a cat-rabbit hybrid called the Cabot due to its unusually hopping gait. Now, I love rabbits and I love cryptids and folk tales and so this suited me just fine. And then for fun, I did the test again on a second account and got a stoat. So I think I will just have to accept that in my heart, I am a small fluffy creature. Now, lots of people were not as happy as I was, and uh, in a post I made on Reddit, I had a lot of people express their disappointment that their Patronus didn't match them. J.K. Rowling's own Patronus, according to the test, is a heron. Uh, So I guess for me, the only thing that I was a little disappointed in was that there was no explanation at the end of the test of uh, what your Patronus's characteristics meant in the same way as they had for your house result or your wand result. Nevertheless, if you haven't taken the test yet, it is super fun and you can find it in the show notes. And um, if you do take it, post up your results on the Tinted Edges Facebook page because I would love to see what you got. However, the main event for September here in Canberra was undoubtedly the Spring Lifeline Book Fair that was held in the special once-off location in Thoroughbred Park. I made two trips this time, I found lots of great books, and I have to say, like, this new space, it was really excellent. I particularly liked that there was an outdoor cafe space between the main area and the children's section, so when you were moving from one lot of books to the next, you could have a coffee, take a breather, and then dive straight back in. You can check out some of the photos of the fair in the show notes. So, the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair raises money for Lifeline, which is an organization that runs a 24-hour suicide hotline. And one of the book fair volunteers very kindly took some time out of her busy Saturday afternoon to talk to us all about the book fair and some of the amazing things that it does. And you can listen to the interview right now. Today I'm sitting in the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair warehouse with Penny. Thank you for joining me. Penny's been volunteering for about seven or eight years here and she looks after the children's book team and she's very kindly taken the time to speak to us today about my favorite thing in the whole wide world, the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair. So Penny, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair? Well, our book fairs are a Canberra institution now. They've been operating for 44 years and they're a major fundraising resource for um, Lifeline Canberra. And uh, so how many book fairs are there a year? Oh, yes. Well, we have two major book fairs, one in February, March, and one in September. And then we have what's to date been a smaller one, mid-year, down on the south side of Canberra. But we are actually going to branch out, um, starting in 2017, into a, a new venue on the south side, the basketball courts at Southern Cross Club. Oh, So really? we hope to see the... 
winter book fair become just as big and beautiful as the spring and autumn book fairs? Well, that's very exciting for me because I live south side. Uh, so, and could you just tell us a little bit, just for our listeners to get an idea of the scale of the book fair, how big are these book fairs? How many books are there? People are amazed when they walk into the epic pavilion and see the size of um, the spread of books. It takes seven semi-trailer loads to move about 167 pallets of um, priced and sorted items. That's uh, some 350,000 items make it to the book fair. Wow, that is unbelievable. And uh, so where do all of the books come from? Well, we've got um, very loyal donors in Canberra who, when they have surplus books, think that they'll declutter to Lifeline Canberra and we're always very happy to receive their donations. And they're also equally loyal in buying stock back because about 70% of our customers are loyal returning patrons of the book fair, which is a bit of a measure of our popularity and success. Yeah. The people that have tried it, they like to come back. Yeah, that's a real testimony, I think. And um, so all of the books that get donated, do they all end up getting put out for sale? Uh, some uh, We have some surplus stock, uh, and one of the things we do with that is uh, we support Book Belong Piccanini, which is based at the PNG High Commission, and it's a literacy program for um, Papua New Guinean students. Yeah, and for people who don't speak Tok Pisin, that means uh, books for children. Yes, and um, we also... We, we check all a lot of the stock that comes through. If we think we see something special, we price it online and we put our price about a third of the online um, cost and that stock goes into our collector's room. So you've got so you've got some really special items yes. that get withheld held from the book fair and they actually go into a collector's room. Uh, well, they're at the, at the book fair in the collector's room. An yep. example is we had a $1,000 copy of Harry Potter Oh my god! Um, that went very fast at the last book fair. How, it was how fast? Only in the collector's room for about two hours before someone snaffled it up. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, but there are there there is an enormous amount of stock we never check online, and every t after every book fair we hear stories of people that are very gleeful on their way out for the bargains they've got. Um, people now can check the same databases that we look at, um, so they they stand in the queue to pay and they look up a secondhand book dealer um, price list and they know what a bargain they got with us <laughs> as, they're, as they're checking as they're, out <laughs> as they're checking out they're reaffirming their good judgment yeah so it sounds like you could you could go and find some real treasures that might not might not have been picked up exactly. by the collector's room exactly wow, that's amazing so how many volunteers are there for each book fair and what are their different roles we have about 300 people working at a book fair and we have about 250 working in the warehouse Warehouse operates practically every day of the year. We're not officially open on Sundays, but um, people can leave books at any time we're not open in um, our little shed at the back. So I've, got, I've taken a photo of this so you can have a look at this in the sh show notes. The little donation shed is called Dan's Dunny, and I'm told that that's because Dan built it. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so, so there are 300 volunteers for the book fair, and how many volunteers work in the warehouse? Oh, about 250. Yeah. Um, a number of people have to work, uh, are required to work in logistics, moving the stock around, because this is really like a, a big factory production line. Yeah. The, the books come in, they're sorted, um, damaged stocks discarded, we recycle that, 
and um, then it's sorted into categories. We've got sort of 12 major categories, things like fiction, children's books, uh, humanities, technical books. And then within that, we've got all up several hundred category, subject categories. So yeah, books amazing. get sorted out and then they're priced by the people that all the books for fiction are priced by the fiction team. So there's meant to be some consistency of prices, but it's always worth looking around because a few different people price things. You can get slight price differentiation. For the you can same find book. further bargains. <laughs> Plenty of bargains to be found. Now, speaking of stock, it's not just books that get sold, is it? No, that's right. We sell, uh, we, our games and puzzles are very popular. We also sell vinyl, CDs, DVDs, large print books, talking books, um, Lego. We've branched out into Lego oh, lately. Really? Yes. Oh, um, I have to tell my nephews. Yes, we've got we've got old and new books. We've got several vintage sections, and then we get a lot of um, very current fiction. That's yep. yeah, people, so people don't hold on anymore to fiction. They they read it and pass it back to be recycled to us to sell out to other people. So that's good. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And so, are there any little behind the scenes things that you could maybe tell us? about the book fair that our listeners might not know about? Um, well, we do have, um, we've got a collector's room catalogue that goes up online several weeks before the book fair. That's the whole of the contents of the collector's room is listed with prices. And so collectors and dealers look at that to identify what they want to focus on when they enter the book fair. All the volunteers love Friday morning. There's an enormous queue by the time the book fair opens at nine o'clock on Friday morning and um, there's always a couple of enthusiasts at the front of the queue who literally run into their favorite area. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fantastic. All right well thank you so much for all your time today Penny. It's a pleasure. was Penny from the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair. You can find more about the book fair, information about the next dates and locations, and check out their online catalogue in the show notes. So September, I absolutely smashed through the books, and I actually somehow, I don't even know how, I somehow managed to read 12 books in total. That was, that's like three books a week. I don't know what, I, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Anyway, first up was Wild Island by Jennifer Livett. Uh, this was an advanced reader copy I received from Alan and Unwin. It was an enjoyable read. It sort of picks up the story after the end of Jane Eyre and, you know, takes takes it on to the colony of Van Diemen's Land, which is now, of course, known as Tasmania in Australia. Now, this book did have a little bit of a Frankenstein feel to it with kind of two stories sort of jaggedly stitched together. And I actually thought that Livet would have done better without the Jane Eyre part at all and just stuck with her own story, which was actually really quite good. Um, continuing on my Roald Dahl readathon, uh, the next book I read was The Witches, which I actually enjoyed less than I thought I would, but to be honest, when I was a kid, I always did find it a little bit creepy. Uh, then there was the incredible wordless graphic novel Small Things by Mel Tregonning, who very sadly took her own life before it was completed. Her family asked acclaimed graphic novelist Sean Tan to help them finish it, and the result is absolutely stunning. 
Then was the inaugural book for the new book club I talked about earlier on, uh, which was How Fiction Works by James Wood. And oh my God, you know, like this book, it had like a couple of good points, but oh, it was so, it was mostly pomp. It was really arrogant. It just, I mean, like, oh, yeah, I could not finish that book soon enough. Uh, then I finished off my Roald Dahl readathon all in one hit with the BFG, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Now, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Fantastic Mr. Fox are the still wonderful classics. I will, you know, if I have kids, I will definitely have those on the shelf. They're fantastic books. The BFG is kind of actually a lot like a gender-bending version of the witches, except instead of, like, evil female witches, you have evil male giants, and instead of you know, an orphan boy, you have an orphan girl. Um, it's it's okay. Like, I don't know. I, I think I liked it more when I was a kid. But I have to say, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, it probably should not have ever been published. And oh my god, some of those residual racist jokes that are still in that book, you know, they just, they really have not aged well. The book hasn't aged well. It's, it's no good. It's no good scrap it from the canon. Nevertheless, the quality of the rest of the books for September was actually really high. Um, and I always laugh when I have to say the title of this book, I Love Dick by Chris Krause. Well, obviously, with a title like that, it was an outrageous romp. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really, it was such an interesting book and really refreshing to have, like, such an unlikable main female character. I mean, there, there was something quite brilliant about it. Uh, next was Australian debut Goodwood by Holly Throsby, who previously has, uh, she's quite well known in Australia as a singer-songwriter. Anyway, she's put together a brilliant country town mystery. Um, I really enjoyed it. The tone was great. It was very well put together. Then there was Barbed Wire and Cherry Blossoms by Aboriginal author Anita Heiss, who, um, if people, if you've listened to previous episodes, you might remember I went to go actually see her speak. Uh, this is another Australian novel with a really interesting what-if premise based on the Kara Japanese POW camp during World War II and the nearby Aboriginal mission. Finally, I finished the memoir I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. This book was beautifully written. It is historically extremely important, but it, I have to admit it was a little bit lacking when it came to coherent story. All right, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode in November.